Welcome to Peaking to Success, the podcast that delves deep into our guest success stories. The highs, the lows, the lessons learned, and if there's any exciting future plans lined up. Talking about future plans, Peaking into Success is proudly supported by Peak Wills and Estate Planning. We're here to support you with any future planning. Long gone are the times of solicitors in suits and ties and dark rooms and outdated practices. We are proud to offer a fresh and dynamic approach to the stuffy old world of wills, changing the way we talk about what happens when we die. But... That's enough talk about death on a podcast introduction. It's time to pass you over to Peeking Into Success host, Mr. Adam Kahn. Whose success are we peeking into this episode, Adam? Thanks, Sam. And what a great introduction. Um, Today we have on Jimmy Fairhurst. He's a man that has run his own theatre company, as well as starring in a past and upcoming show at Derby Theatre in Brastoff, so... I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Hi, Jimmy. How are we today? Good. All right. Yeah. It's ready to uh, to enter tech rehearsals. For... And do you feel prepared or yeah, do you feel good. nervous ever? No, I don't really get. That's the only. No, I don't really get nervous. I get excited. I get a little bit of nerves, but I just I get really excited, particularly when we're just about to go up. It's the same anticipation and excitement I used to get before playing a rugby match. Nice. Um, For anyone, of course, that doesn't know you in the local area or further afield, how would you sum up Jimmy Fairhurst in a nutshell? (laughs) (laughs) That is a question. (laughs) How would I sum up Jimmy Fairhurst in a nutshell? I think my brother once referred to me as never finishes a pint. (laughs) Never never finishes a sentence, always finishes a pint. I don't know. I'm a, I'm a working class actor, writer, director, and the artistic director of Not Too Tame. And yeah, I'm here to have a good time, not a long time. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> nice way of putting it, short and sweet. Um, so, of course, you touched on a moment ago, of course, the rugby. Mm. Um, how did you go from, of course, rugby to acting? Kind of, how did that gap get filled and the transition happen? Well, it's funny. I always say that I did a Billy Elliot because I was playing rugby league. My dad was a professional rugby league player uh, for Wigan and Warrington, and then I, and so I sort of followed that route. I mean, from the age of six, I was playing rugby league, which if you're from Warrington, sort of the norm. It's bigger than football down that neck of the woods. Um, and I was, I was at high school. I was playing rugby. That's where I was destined to go. I was playing. Just been finished at Bradford Bulls, and I was at Lee Centurions, and. Um, and I was in an English class and somewhat, and then we were doing Shakespeare from um, A Midnight's Dream. And as you do in school, we've been talking about it and reading it out. And I found myself laughing and other people weren't. And I thought, oh, have I got that wrong? And I remember the English teacher, Mr. Harrington, said, you know, you, you might want to do a play. And I was like, be normal. Who does plays get, you know, I didn't know anyone who did theatre at all. Um, and then he introduced me to a lady called uh, Carol Shinkfield, who was the head of drama. Yeah. She's like, yeah, we're doing Midnight's Dream. Would you, would you like to audition? I'm like, mm, not quite sure. And then uh, it was full of girls. And I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll give that, I'll give that a go. <laughs> uh, so, so that was the first thing I did. I did Midnight's Dream. And I, um, but as soon as I did it, I just, everything shifted, everything changed. And I went, this is what I want to do. And I remember telling my dad, and he hit the roof. He hit the absolute <laughs> roof. Because I just changed course in, in about like, of what I wanted to do in a couple of weeks. I remember him going into, I remember him, I stood down the corridor, and I remember him like, uh, 
not had to up against the wall, but he was very firm about, like, don't be filling this lad's head. Because he had no reference of, you know, he didn't know anyone in theatre or that could do it. And I remember the, the drama teacher saying, you know, he can do this, you know, he's talented. I just thought, oh, that's it. Oh, OK, maybe I can. And I thought, yeah. And so I've been blagging my way through it for ever since. <laughs> <laughs> so, of course, did you initially start with the acting or did you see, of course, you've got Not Too Tame and your artistic director of that, so... Did you see that as natural progression into that role, or was it kind of, I just want to do acting and focus on the no. acting, not behind the scenes? Well, it was in, so I went, the first thing I did, because by the time I was 17, I already had a place at Cardiff University to read English. So I went, I went to Cardiff University and basically peed it up the wall for three <laughs> years and got a lot of life experience and a lot of debt. Um, but, I, but while I was there, uh, yes, I did English, but like you could, it was modular, so I did everything. I was just, I became obsessed with uh, theatre and English and stories, and like just words have always been a massive passion of mine. So I, I did writing for stage, I did um, uh, Shakespeare's trilogy, you know, comedies, but I did all the Shakespeare stuff, all London stage, all like lots of stuff that was just based around performance or, or narrative and, and stories, and I loved it. And I got, like I said, I did, I mean, I worked hard and played hard, probably played a lot harder than <laughs> I did. But while I was doing that, I always knew that this was just a stopgap. I was going to go and train to be an actor. So I, I worked two jobs because while I was at university to make sure that I had the money to come out. And one of my friends who was in Brookside, actually, like was as a kid, he was a child actor, um, Ollie Simpson. Uh, if people know Brookside, the we it's uh, yeah the brother and sister who got it on first sort of like taboo relationship. He was the younger brother who did uh, CVs for Jimmy Corkill. Um, <laughs> and anyway, but he said, if you can, don't do the one year MA, do the three year because you, you meet more, there's more, you'll make more relationships with directors and professionals and that will help you when you get into the industry. And it was one of the greatest bit of advice I've ever had. But then, so when, and I was fortunate enough to get into several drama schools, but I, uh, I was, I got cut into a couple of London and then I got into Royal Welsh and I didn't know where to go, but I was walking through the park in Cardiff. If anyone knows Cardiff, it's the big, it's in the grounds of a castle. It's beautiful. And uh, I was deliberating where to go. And then an orchestra started up playing Quadrophenia by The Who. And I went, yeah, this is where I'm going to stay. <laughs> uh, and I, I went to Cardiff University and I did three years there. And in my second year, I was in the library looking for um, showcase pieces for monologues, which is what all actors do. And I just noted that there was no... I was like, Jim Cartwright's great. I know he's brilliant. He's one of the best, you know, prolific Northern writers. And he was someone who made me realise I could do this. But he wrote two in 1984, and that's the year I was born. And I was like, where's the rest of these working class voices? Where's, you know, Jimmy McGovern? Where's Shane Meadows for stage? It, what, it, I couldn't believe how little there was. And I, that's when I went, I want a voice at the table. I'm going to start my own company. And I'm going to make working class work for working class people. And for my mates who are rugby players, nerd dressers and teachers and sparks and... Um, and so I started with, along with about uh, eight or ten other working class actors in uh, who went to Royal Welsh either year above me or year below. Um, and when we, we we left and went to London, I started Not Too Tame, and that's uh, yeah. We, so Not Too Tame is my company, and we make work for people who don't want to go to theatre, really. Yeah. Um, uh, and it's a, and theatre can be a good night out. So that's how I sort of got into Not Too Tame, um, and that is. Ten years ago next year, 
Yeah. You know, it's interesting actually. I'm like, what? <laughs> so yeah, so that's how I, I sort of got into that. So of course, I've I've seen your Cinderella. Oh yeah. In, oh, a, yeah. in, a, in a pub when you did it in Derby. I, I mean, I think is that five years ago that you did yeah, that. Yeah, I think it might be now. And I mean, the difference is, I mean, I've seen you on Dob stage <laughs> as well. So I mean, the difference from the work you create to the work you perform in. How how does that come about? So, well, that's really interesting actually because, so, well, the work that I create is 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 work that I would like to see actually, uh, because it, I I sort of go. I always think that, you know, like a, a good night out in any boozer, because Not Too Tame performs predominantly, it now performs in, in mid-scale theatres as well as uh, site-specific, but it, it's taken the nature of a space. So when, if I'm not in theatre, I like going to gigs, and I'm like, it should be, you know, it's classless. Anyone can yeah. go to any, you know, you can listen to Tchaikovsky and you can listen to Eminem, no one's going to bat an eyelid. Theatre's not like that, and so many people are like, all oh, my mates, they won't go to theatre, but they'll go to a show. Do you know what I mean? Okay, and they'll, yeah, and, and they'll, they'll, because they go, because they think it's not for them because they've been told either by content or ticket price or uh, the building or what. But so, so for me, I, we took them out into my head and, you know, making work in places where people feel comfortable. And I also, it's, I, I can drink when I do those shows. I'll <laughs> joke <laughs> uh, about, yeah, so, so, and that's fun. And then, but, but it's interesting because the same, I mean, we'll go on to this, but I, what I'm doing, obviously, in Derby doing breast off. But the the different hearts and tropes within the work, you know, um, the resilience of the human spirit, working class stories, um, you've got to laugh or you'll cry. There's a lot of human pathos in working in those stories, and a lot in in any not too tame show, you know, you'll you'll have a laugh, you'll have a pint or a drink if you like to drink, you'll have fun, and hopefully somewhere along the lines like you'll be moved and you'll be made to think about stuff. Even with you know something with Cinderella, there's. It, it, there's, there's stories and, and characters that hopefully you identify with, and I, I think by the end as well, like it's, it doesn't it's, it, it breaks down the barrier of us and them. Yeah. You know, you, you don't go out. We're not sat in the dark in a not too tame show. You're 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 the, the um, you're the final cast member. Yeah, uh, very true. Uh, yeah, and the, but then the difference, the work that I do in, with companies. I mean, I've done how many shows have I done here now? I have. I did Kes was the first thing I did here. Then I did Brast. No, then I did yeah Brast off. Then look back in anger, and then I'm back doing Brast off again. Um, and then all great working class stories actually. Maybe that that's my <laughs> thing, obviously. Uh, I, but I love doing it. It's it's quite nice sometimes. I was saying that it was really lovely to be asked back to do this with Sarah Brigham, who just I mean, I'd walk over hot coals for her because she's she really is you know like Ron Seal she does what she says on the tin and she means it so, and, and that's evident in such a monster of a show but um, it, she leads by example uh, and so so it's quite nice sometimes just being one thing because as an artistic director you're and normally I'm in the shows write the theme tune sing the theme <laughs> tune uh, but uh, like I'm producer I'm actor I'm director I'm writer whereas then when you come in to do an actor role for a director who is as great as Sarah, it's actually really fun and freeing and you can just focus on that one strand. Um, so it's quite liberating, actually. Nice. No, I like that. And I mean, you're very, with the working class, I feel like I've noticed, especially with like the community stuff Derby Theatre have been doing recently, um, that a lot more people 
all of in that mind frame of, oh, I can't come to a theatre because of X, Y, and Z. So you actually, like, going in to the community and giving them kind of another place to watch performances. If you think of, if you think of Derby, yeah. where really, apart from here and the velodrome on the odd occasion, yeah. can you actually watch a piece of theatre or a show? Yeah. But it, well, it's, it's, I mean, Derby's, it, it's a in, really interesting city, actually, <clears throat> but it's really rich in community, like micro hubs. Yeah. And, and, you know, social clubs and pubs, and it's brilliant. It's got loads of alehouses, I love. But you, I think, you know, I always call it like a bit like Hansel and Gretel. Like, we, we've got, for me, as not too tame, I'm like, and theatre, or people who make the, working class artists in theatre, need to be the antidote, because people are already, you're not meeting them at neutral, they're meeting it going, Oh, I don't like that because they've been like a bit like Shakespeare at school. Sometimes people have been they've been made to feel stupid or made to feel like that isn't for them. So, so you've got to work a little bit harder because they're already going. Nah, not for me. Like it's ingrained in them. So, to go and show them work or not show them because it's not it's, to go and present something to them and 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 then they go. Oh, actually, I enjoyed that. Then there's the responsibility of either you as the company or the theatre to go. What's the next show? And you've got to, you know, I, I, I do call it Hansel and Gretel. That you've got to give them morsels to lead them out and, and, and build up trust with that, that those audiences. Because for me, I mean, Derby's a big football type city, right? Yeah, yeah. Whereas I, I mean, I'm the worst footballer you'll ever meet. But um, <laughs> I was in the, I was in the gym the other day, and I heard two blokes who didn't know each other, and they were talking about Derby football. And uh, a derby, and they were like, and they were like, right, well, who were we playing at the weekend? And it's like, who are we playing? Like, they were they were on the bench. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it belongs yeah, to yeah. them. And I, I think it, the biggest the biggest success a theatre or a company could have was going like, oh, what are we doing next? Or do, you know, like, they're they're part of that. And that I think that's a big working class thing because sport, particularly football, you know, it's anyone can access it. You go, for, you know, playing kicking about in the streets. It's like it literally is for anyone. And I think that's a big. I, I think theatre could learn a lot. And I actually recently I've been obsessed with um, football managers, and th- th- what football managers say and man management of their teams and directors, I think are really similar. Okay. Yeah, like Arsene Wenger. I'll give you one because I love this by quote by Arsene Wenger. Arsene Wenger said, "My job is not to make the players brilliant. My job is to make them so relaxed that their genius shines through." Well, if that isn't a director, I don't know what is. It is, I mean? yeah, yeah. No, I like I like the comparison, and I mean, until you saying it, you you don't notice it. You don't notice these things, and it's kind of sometimes with theatre, you need to kind of bring it, I guess, to ground level, so you can observe more. And that's what you're shining through. You're showing. I'm noticing the smaller things. I'm noticing the smaller communities and the people that just maybe go to work nine to five and go and do this and that, and you're giving them that kind of opportunity to see through a different kind of, I don't know, aspect of kind of yeah. entertainment. Well, the thing is as well, is like how often are those people's stories, it's only in terms, so those working class stories, and okay, you can look at them in soaps, but actually, I always talk about this magic in the mundane. It's like the everyday is beautiful. Yeah. Like that, how, you know, as human beings, we're drawn to stories that are based on a true story. And I, I'm, I'm telling you now, I, the, the, the people that I've met on uh, a creative pub crawl, basically I've gone around the pubs in, uh, as part of something to do with Derby Can, asking people what would they like to see and, you know, buy them a pint and go, do you mind if I sit with you and ask you what you want? 
And the stories that people have told me, either before a show or like after a show over a pint, when you go, can I buy you a drink? I'm like, yeah, of course you can. I'm like, <laughs> buy me what you want me. Um, but the, the story, I'm like, they're moving, they're emotional, they're like, I can't believe this. We can put this in, but so this is true. So when I was writing Cinderella, the character that I played, oh no, Jack, someone else played it first. There was um, there was a guy who I was I was writing the script in a pub. I work on the script in a pub in um, I think up in Belper, and uh, it was in the middle of the suburbs, but every day no pub. The next minute, a guy in uh, I'd say late fifties, early sixties walks in in full women's clothing and wig and high heels. Okay. Everyone in the pub turns around. <laughs> And I was like, wow, okay. And I'm like, I was just writing about a guy, not, you know, it wasn't about um, sexual preference. It was about, I don't, it was a guy who just feels comfortable wearing women's clothes as, as part of this, uh, the fairy godmother. In the <laughs> and I said, I went up to this uh, lady and said, could you mind if I, I buy you a drink? In hindsight, that might not have been the best <laughs> idea. But anyway, this, 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 um, she referred to herself as, as Cheryl, but uh, later on he, he told me his name was, um, I'll not say his name. But basically, he said, I was telling him what I was doing, and he, he, he I'll not go into the story, but what was really interesting is that he'd basically lost his wife, and he was on his own, and he'd come into that same pub all the time as a, as a brickie, and no one looked at him, he was invisible. And then, for one reason or another, he started getting into these communities, and he realised that this gave him something. And he said, when he came into the pub, everyone turned their head, and, he was, and I thought there was something really beautiful in that, and sad, and... But I, I, anyway, but that was part of it. But these, you know, the, these every man, everyday stories exist in working class communities, and really, unless it comes up on a soap you, or in a Jimmy McGovern or a Shane Meadows, you don't. There's no, there's no light on those communities, and I think that's a massive. Forgive the pun while we're doing brass <laughs> stuff, but a brass, a massive seam on a coal face that is missing, which is a, which is about working class stories and working class everyday life, because it's. You know, you can have the royals and this, that, and the other, but I'm like, I'm not bothered about them. No, I'm not bothered no. about the the person who's, you know, making ends meet and having to go to, is working three jobs and having to go to food banks. To, like that, that's just, they're heroes. They're those people who should be celebrated and uh, a light shone upon them and their difficulties because they're doing that every day, day in, day out, and surviving. And I think that's massive. A hundred percent. And I mean, as you said, no one's shining the light on them, but you are now, and hopefully. If not two teams can get to a degree where it can go everywhere and anywhere and kind of have all them yeah. functioning cogs in a bigger scale, then all the people are going to see it. It's, do you know what? It's 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 interesting and going on. Uh, so one of your questions that you brought up, I don't hope you don't mind if I... Oh, no, 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 that's fine. Because it, it leads on to this, because one of the... And I don't know what happened in the last six months, but one of your questions that you, you emailed to me was, what advice would I give a young Jimmy Furrest? Yes. And... Uh, just literally turned 39 <laughs> this week and I would say um, stop waiting for permission okay. and I say this to all working class so I, when I work with young actors I don't, you don't call, yourself an actor, call yourself an artist because then you're a collaborator as an actor sometimes you're passive but I've always been going like waiting for permission to like oh is that okay to do is that like don't uh, just do it you've got to do it and I, I still now at 39 like I'm in, a, in rooms and Sarah Brigham's been incredibly helpful in this in putting me in on interview boards and this, that and the other and, and you realise that you have a rightful place in there but if you're from a certain working class background you don't want to make you, you don't want to annoy anyone you don't no, want to upset no. anyone and actually 
I, what I've realised is I've, about six months ago, I thought, um, F this. Like, I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not taking any prisoners for doing this and we're going to change it because it's not about me. It's about those audiences and it's about those young artists who, you know, could be the next Victoria Wood or the next Shea Meadows. It's about, it's about being pathmakers and not gatekeepers. And I've realised that there are so many people who, who don't want to make a positive change. And I just thought, why am, I, why am I waiting for permission here? Nah, this is happening. And I don't know where it's come from. It's not, I, I would hope it's not seen as an arrogance. to just go, I'm here, to, um, I'm here to, to make a mark and, and open doors for people because there's so, so much talent that doesn't, you know, that I've got barriers to access into these opportunities. And it's there, they've got skills and storytelling abilities that we couldn't dream of. So I'm just think like it, it just feels like we need to shake up the snow globe of, of the air and just make it accessible, otherwise it will die. Hundred percent. And I mean, you've mentioned theatre specifically there, but I've noticed of course since doing this that a lot of people you said the word gatekeeping. Join me, Daisy Ray, on the Talk Poetry to Me podcast where we dive into the hearts and minds of poets and spoken word artists, unveiling emotions, sharing stories and embracing the power of words. Tune in to discover the voices that paint our world with truth. Talk poetry to me. You can listen wherever you download your podcasts. Will gatekeep? People, especially, it's really bad to say, but especially people that deem themselves a higher class, mm -hmm. in, especially in Derby, mm -hmm. I mean, that have stopped me getting into certain conversations or into certain rooms with people to try and sell, sell this as an entity. So you saying that you getting onto boards and kind of trying to break that for the theatre world, I completely resonate with, because I've, in a short time, I've had exactly the same. That's and, interesting. And a lot, uh, there was an episode with um, a football manager who people, if you typed him in on Google, mm. comes up with, he's racist, he's racist, blah, 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 blah. But I did the episode being like, we're not mentioning that, we're just focusing on the football career. Yeah. It's in the top three episodes already. So oh, great. if you don't go, if you don't focus on the headline and people don't search him and people just listen, oh, and you and you cut out the negative of people, yeah. I've noticed, yeah, people people do want to listen, but they just see negative connotations and run a, a mile. So it, yeah, but that, but that's the art of it. I mean, we live in a, in an age where nuanced conversation or debate has gone so, and like you, people just want headlines so yeah. it, that's interesting that you go if it comes at it from a different position and I think there's you know we're all all of us as humans but there's all, you know there's no black and white we're, we're just we're, we're all grayscale and everyone is I just think it's it's important to look at the detail isn't it and it's important to I think that's if you care about what you're doing it, 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 it becomes ingrained in the act itself like the interviewer yes. going okay well that is one thing but you, you know, if everyone is doing that, if you if you copy and go down that same route, then you're going to get everyone else's results. Um, but I think it's and pathmakers is a big thing. You know, I've banged on about Sarah Brigham, but I, she, if it wasn't for like mentors are a huge thing actually, and I now try to be 
uh, a mentor to other people. And Fulham Fasela has been my mentor. And on the on the front of the doors downstairs, there's a new company who's performing here okay. called Close to Home Productions, uh, who I've mentored. And it's about it is about sending the elevator back down. And 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 something that I did, you know, you're saying about those barriers that you come to. It's only by seeing behind the curtain do you realise. So, like, oh, so bring, uh, and, and other mentors bring me into it, scenarios that I might not other be, or being an artistic director, I'm in rooms from a different angle. Yeah. And then I've, you realise, and this is, it, it, I found out this out a lot in, in COVID, and it really broke my heart. Some people are just doing it because they're just doing a job. Like, yeah. what's the next thing? Whereas I go, and I realise, I'm like, hang on a minute, I used to look up to, not look up to, but I used to feel subservient to you, and you go, and actually, you guys are calling a living like what I, I can do this so I think there's, there's that thing of going we, we put parameters we put glass ceilings on ourselves because we think we doubt again if you're from a certain background yeah. I think we doubt ourselves and we go oh I it's the and everyone gets this no matter what class you're from but the um, imposter syndrome but I do think it's amplified because you don't if you're from a work-class background, you don't have that entitlement. No, you no. don't feel entitled to have the voice to take the space. To um, whereas if you were told from an early age you can have what you want, you can do what you want, you can be what you want, then you are entitled to take everything. Yeah. Space, um, time. Uh, you know, it, it already belongs to you. And what I'm trying to instill in young working-class actors and artists and anyone I meet is going. Take whatever you need to do your job properly. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's uh, because because it's your because that's your responsibility. You have a responsibility to yourself and to the work. And and in a way, I believe that if you make it about the work, you really you get out of your own way. But that's a, you know one of the biggest. The only thing I, my biggest handbrake to making work or to any project in the arts is ego. Like it is because I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm not here to babysit. Get a grip and get out. You get out. <laughs> I can't deal with it. But and you'll you'll notice that. And like you need a certain amount of confidence. It's confidence without arrogance. Yeah. Yeah. And that, and that comes from doing a, doing a job properly and taking pride in your job. Whether you're you know a road sweeper and actor. Like people say. I remember someone said this to me once. They said, "Do you think it's arrogant to be an actor if you're working class?" It's like, what planet are you on? And they said, well, it's, it's quite a middle-class job. And I said, well, that's interesting because I think it's a trade in the same way that a, um, a joiner or an electrician, it's a, it, you're applying your trade. And I've learned my trade. My trade is storytelling. Yeah. So I, when I go to work, I go to work as a working-class artist. Like, I'm, I'm just like any joiner or any brickie. I'm building something from scratch and I'm doing it with the trades and the skills that I've learned. Can you tell that annoyed me that question? Like that? <laughs> it did annoy me. What you like? <laughs> uh, no, I like that. I mean, you went on to the advice, so I'm going to ask you this now. Mm. If there's anything you'd do differently. So if we went back to maybe that Billy Elliot moment and we changed from rugby to kind of the performing arts and kind of being that storyteller that you are now, is there anything that you do differently in this whole journey? Uh, yes, there is, and this is hindsight. So, I would. I led with with my art, and I would from the from the beginning, I would have implemented, or I would have, in the same, in the same way that I learned and asked everything and soaked up everything I could from any director or anyone that I admired, in terms of my art, 
I sh would have liked to have done similar in terms of the business case like scenario of it because uh, because it has to run as a business and that's something I'm learning now when I'm working with people who work in commercial theatre going like I've always wanted to do you know subsidised tickets and uh, tickets for uh, those people who are striking and, and things like this because it's important to serve your community I think there's also a case of if you're the artist like power and money lies with buildings and the institutions yeah. whereas I have been subsidising my own career now for a long time because it's in the gaps between the projects okay. whereas and if you are from a working class background like you, things like doing your taxes or um, you know cash flows they're things that if someone doesn't show you them or give you those examples, you're like, what? And you, you're just finding your way around in the dark. So actually implementing, a, a, looking at it as a, not just wiping its mouth, it needs to make money. Um, that I would have liked to have implemented that in earlier. That's the only thing that I would have done different because everything else that we've done, and uh, I mean, I stand on the shoulders of giants, like we, you know, we're an ensemble at Notre Dame and I've got two very good people, Andrew and Louise, who we've made the work with. Um, it's that collaborative nature, that, that working class sense of ensemble has been there from day dot, but what we didn't have, what, what would have been great is having a, you know, Alan Sugar to monetize things or to, to while you're making the work, all those extra points of sale like merch or um, uh, just things that where you go and you, we, we could have reaped more out of the successes that we've had, but that, that's a learning curve as well. So. Yeah, in hindsight, I'd have had a business guru <laughs> running alongside us, but um, yeah. Well, that's, I think that's nice because you focus on something that's not a characteristic of yourself. Does that make sense? Which yeah. a lot of people like to do when I, when I ask something that's thought provoking is go back and kind of reevaluate your life. A lot of people try and focus on something specifically a characteristic of them where you kind of you've broken the mould in that sense and been like, nah, do something which would benefit so many others as well as yeah. your company as well, which, of course, shows the kind of character you are and... Oh, well, that's good. <laughs> that's and, and what you're trying to achieve with Not Too Tame as well. So it, I think that's a great advertisement in itself. In, you said about having the business guru, but I think you, you are selling Not Too Tame more and more that you're talking about, even in this half an hour that we've had so mm. far, you've sold not to your team well enough to be like, like I'm interested in what you're doing next kind mm. of thing, which I think it, it's great yeah. audits to yourself because, of course, that's how something should be sold. It shouldn't be, oh, here's a billboard, this is our upcoming show. It should be people genuinely hearing mm. from the people that make it like... I, I resonate a lot with... If, if I'm going to watch something, I'll resonate with wanting to watch that film or that show mm. if I hear from the people that have actually lived and worked on the show. So, yeah. like, say, for example, like, interviews and, like, for example, with Breastoff, you did the kind of... They came into the rehearsal room, didn't they? And yeah. they asked you questions like that. I get a feeling if, from that that you're enjoying your work, which makes me think... Well, if they're enjoying it, I might enjoy watching it. But, well, that's a, that's a, that's really interesting because I always say when we're we're, we're currently marketing our, our next show, and I, I always say with the marketing intrigue, yeah, people like just if you intrigue an audience, if they go, oh, what's that? Or that looks, in, they'll go. 
yeah. because intrigue is the greatest pull and then you've got word of mouth and those things but any, and if again if yeah right you're absolutely right if, if you look like if any performer if they look like they're enjoying the work you're drawn to it yeah yeah yeah, yeah interesting <laughs> there you go um we're going to try and focus on what you deem as your biggest achievements and your defining moments now so when you think through your span it can be to do with anything it can be to do with your actual career or just personally to you mm. what do you see as your kind of biggest achievement in your career high to date oh interesting i'd have to split it between two things one was the first thing and the last and the most recent thing that's happened so or one of the most recent things so uh, last week i was in rehearsals and uh louise one of the co-directors not too terms sent me a message going have you seen this and uh i've just been nominated for a uk uh, best director theatre award uh which gets uh, the the ceremony's on the 8th of october now that and i was like what 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 <laughs> and because we're up there there's only three people up there, it's myself and Matthew Dunst, from Midsummer Night's Dream at Shakespeare North Playhouse last year. Which uh, and then there's uh, Gary Hines from Druid, a, a Galway-based theatre company who I've watched and followed for many years, and then the RSC. So to have my name, some scruffy-necked lad from Warrington <laughs> up there, is a, it's um, it was a lot to take in. It's still a bit overwhelming, if I'm honest, but that is. Just that acknowledgement of the work we did because Midnight's Dream was the biggest thing that team has done, and it was a massively working class project from beginning to end on a Shakespeare. Yeah. Like, and we got, you know, there were ten thousand people saw it in Shakespeare North Playhouse in Prescott, and ten, I think, a ten or eleven percent of those audiences, so just over a thousand people, had never been to the theatre before ever, ever, mm-hmm. and they saw a Shakespeare. So I'm, I, that's something I'm proud of. But then the other, the other thing is the very first thing we did, which was early doors. Um, nine years ago selling out at Edinburgh Festival and then getting picked up on guarantee to be <laughs> toured around the UK because that was that was me going I'm not going to sit and wait for the phone to ring I'm going to get a load of great artists together people like Angina Vassan who's like on the front of Vogue last week incredible <laughs> artist from Singapore um, uh, and you know she's from West End and David Many who, who, who runs Open Door a charity to uh, increase access to professional arts training for people uh, from low-income backgrounds, young people from low-income backgrounds, and and that that early doors was uh, our flagship, and to get to get that to to have a signature piece that was about working-class audiences, written by working-class artists, and to sell out at Edinburgh and give us an award. And if I'm really honest, I'm going to get emotional this week, but I did it with we did it with a lot of love, a lot of care. And, and the greatest sense of ensemble that you could ever imagine, and to and to to be selling out, you know, stood shoulder to shoulder with your best mates up in Edinburgh. Bosh, come again! It was so good. So that's yeah, that's a big thing. That I, I like that because of course you focused on kind of oh I, not I was in this or I create like I created this and look at me, look at my work. You kind of focused on yeah, we've taken this piece of work and we've of course touched so many people and got such a big audience or mm. what I'm noticing with you it's very audience based and community based and kind of it's very much like yeah I'll create this work but you're hoping that you will get 
a lot of eyes on it and hopefully a lot of people will enjoy it and that's kind of how that's how I see your kind of I guess mantra is kind of very much very much like oh if I create this work and say as you said with the Shakespeare piece 11 people like so many people hadn't seen Peter Theatre or anything like that that's kind of where you're getting your joy which I think is a nice thing because a lot of people just focus on of I've I've got this this many people in I've sold it out where you're you're focused on this many people have never seen this show so you're very much community and working class which shows throughout this which I really like it just shows that it just shows that you're trying to not appear to a niche but you're trying to appear to the mass masses if that makes sense yeah but it's it's sort of yeah it is because I want to change the game because it feels like theatre belongs to, uh, for too long has belonged to the middle classes uh, and the haves and actually for me I've always said if you've got a TV you should go and see theatre my, my issue is is that I go and see a lot of theatre myself and I go that's not good enough and I, and I, I, I but but it's hard to say that. So I always think that, like everyone, if anyone's ever been to theatre, any theatre that moves you, and it's probably similar to a, to a TV in a way, uh, the Royal Family actually is the biggest thing I can think of off the top of my head. But, like, so a re- something that is great and moves you and will stay with you, for me, has a holy trinity of three things. It's got to be socially relevant, it's got to be well-crafted, yes. and it's got to be entertaining. Now, so many shows that I see in the theatre, I'll go... Yeah, that's really well made. Sort of socially relevant. It's not that entertaining. Like, there's only very few things out there. I went to watch something just last night, and it was great, and it was a spectacle. Did it move me? No. And I think <laughs> I think theatre's got a responsibility to, to leave a, an audience pregnant with an emotion, to do something. Yeah. Or, you know, whether it's laugh, cry. I mean, you know, the show that we're about to open here, I just think is, is devastatingly powerful. Um, and it makes you really proud to be working class. I like that. Um, of course, you've mentioned you like highs. Yeah. Is there? You can ask some... me what me loads. <laughs> no, loads no. Of them. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. What kind of do you think defines kind of your career? So, if you can think of one thing that maybe you were going in a complete course on one road down and it's kind of diverted and made you change kind of maybe your morals or how you are as an actor or director is there anything that's defined you so massively it's kind of changed your course in where you're going i think do you know what i've got to say i always go back to this and anyone who's heard me will will bang on about you know but i was really fortunate when i left drama school i was really fortunate to go into a job with a company called cheek by jowl and they're a classical theatre company that we taught all around. Like it was, it it was, it was like a next step in education. Now, cheek by jowl do basically they do almost like Tarantino versions of of, of classical text. And the one we did was called "Tis Pity She's a Whore," and um, uh, we went. So I had three years being in and working with the directors, the two artistic directors, there's Declan Donlan and uh, Nick. Well, that's Nick Cerny. Oh, that's really annoying me. I knew, as soon as you go, what's their name? It's gone, Nick. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, uh, Nick. It'll come to me. Uh, but Declan is the director and Nick is the designer. And um, they, I mean, it was a really 
we had a five week rehearsal period which is obviously like that doesn't happen um, but the first and so on the first day of rehearsals they sat down and said we don't know what this looks like we don't know what do we don't know the set don't know the costume we don't know what it is we're going to find this together as a company and their their ethos and way of working and, and empowering of actors uh, as artists to and the collaborative approach um, and working with actually there was a, there was a, the associate director was Owen Horsley who's now massive um, we did all the War of the Roses at the RSC uh, it was just it, it fed so much into everything that I do with Not Too Tame and actually you, when you break not what Not Too Tame does down it's very similar to, to Cheek by Joe in terms of classical essences which is it has to be alive as long yeah. and, and, the, and the charge in the space so I always think like we don't do blackouts. It's like a Newton's cradle. You create this incredible big number at the beginning, and then one thing displaces the next. And, and for me, it's what I go back to all the time. Declan's book, um, The Actor and the Target, is massive. But you know, we toured that show for three years. I mean, we went to Australia, and I went to Kate Blanchett's house and worked with Kate Blanchett, <laughs> mic drop. But I'm like, that was unreal. So for, um, and I, going back to the rugby thing, I thought I'd never go to Australia when I gave up rugby, because rugby league's massive. Yeah, yeah. In, in, so when, again, this little working class lad from Warrington getting on a plane to go and work with Kate Blanchett in Australia, I was bawling. <laughs> Honestly, I was, I was really, it overwhelmed me. And I was like, this is unreal. But then we played in uh, El Matadoro in Madrid, which was a, 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 an abattoir. So it was a theatre that was used to be an abattoir. And when we played all these incredible spaces, indoor, outdoor, and, and that relationship with space and different communities across the world, and and ensemble really is the essence of what I do. I've sort of taken that. And the Bless is open every day from 12pm, serving a wide range of beers, ciders, real ales and spirits. Their kitchen also provides handmade pizzas, loaded nachos, chicken strips and ice cream from 5.50 to 10.30 Monday to Thursday and 12pm to 10.30pm, Friday, Saturday and Sunday. The pub quiz is very popular with anyone that enjoys a good beer and a bit of a laugh with their mates. Taking place every Wednesday at 9pm, there's loads of prizes to be won, including £50 drinks vouchers for the winners and a bottle of wine for the best team name. Everyone's a winner. They also have a spacious function room available to hire that can hold up to 100 people. Wow, that's a lot. Perfect for birthday parties, work events, weddings and wakes. The Bless really comes to life at the weekends with their branded nights of stone love and fully loaded where the DJs play alternative, indie and rock music spanning the generations until the early hours of 2am. There really is something for everyone in what is arguably Derby's best pub and put it through a, a working class laser uh, and that's what I carve out the work with but really and Declan is still um, uh, Ormrod, Nick Ormrod I knew it <laughs> um, uh, Declan Donnelly is still someone who I've gone oh that's what genius is because okay. he, he, the way that he looks at and, and it, even though we come from very different backgrounds um, well not we're both Irish at heart but he um 
it's the humanity. So regardless if it's a play or Shakespeare, yes, the, the, the language is special, but it's the humanity of what's going on, like the human nature and why, like, I always say that I'm an armchair psychologist because I go, why do we do that? Why are you doing that? What is that? What's that about? And I'm fascinated uh, by why human beings do what they do in certain situations. But working with, with cheek by jowl in, and traveling the world and getting envelopes of PEDs, PEDs, <laughs> to go and spend um, is probably the thing that's, it's been the rudder to my Ferrari engine that just wants to go, <laughs> go, 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 go. Um, yeah, it brings it back to the work. So I'd say that's that's the scaffolding that I've built a lot of stuff on from not too time. Nice. Um, of course, we've kind of dropped it in and sprinkled it in mm. throughout. Um, but of course, what are you currently working on? So you can mention not too team first, and then go on to Derby Theatre. I'm happy for you to do that. But with the, um, well, actually, so I got so after this because once this is up where I'm rewriting The Social, which was commissioned by Derby Can, actually, and, Dar and, and Derby Theatre, which is, a, um, a, this year it's the 50th anniversary of Wigan Casino, the, the Northern Soul venue. And so, actually, what Derby commissioned originally, we've um, rewritten about a third of it to give it a working-class Wigan heart for the casino. Mm, nice. So that's the next thing, with a, with a Northern Soul dancer, the girl who did the... Um, the choreography girl called Sally Malloy since then has become the world champion so I'm like you're back and you're <laughs> in it kid and so that we're going to be doing that in November December but now we're just about to well we're sat in the foyer of Derby Theatre about to go into tech rehearsals for Brastoff which uh, I've got to say feels like a shame I do Jimmy McGovern version of it because I don't know whether it's the time I don't know whether it's it's eight years since I've played this, and I've yeah. since had a kid, and I've since had some more life experiences, so I've got more to bring to the role, as has everyone else who's, who's come back. But um, Brastoff has always been, I mean, Pete Postlethwaite, who played you know, the, um, one of the main roles in the film, is from Warrington, love him. Uh, but, but this version is, feels really like brutal, in, in, brutally honest, and, in, and yeah. it's, uh, I'm. Uh, it's gonna, it'll sell out again. This, but what Sarah's done with it on such a scale, like you've got community, you've got these incredible young company and children, you've got the professional actors who are all playing their instruments, those yeah. that play, um, and uh, like Kelvin, the MD, is musical director, been phenomenal, and Derwent Brass, and we did our first run through the whole thing with all everyone on Saturday, and I just thought, if this is what it's like when we're in the rehearsal room. This is, it's gonna, I, I genuinely, I think we've got something very, very, very special on our hands. And um, I think it, the, the stories in it, again with the working class thing, it's, um, they're really important stories. But in, in, in a landscape where currently, you know, you've got people using food banks, you've got um, communities that have been dissected and demoralized and abused by Tory governments. Community is, is, is whether we have it or we feel the loss of it is massive. And I just think this, people are gonna be exhausted in the, <laughs> in the greatest way when they come yeah. out of this and moved. And it's, um, it's, it's honestly, it's really special this. So I, I've been telling everyone, I'm like, listen, if you've not got a ticket, you are gonna regret this. Cause it's like, you need the, it's gonna sell out again. Apparently Friday's sold out, which is great. It's yeah, the first thing. and I mean, I've seen for personal, it's pretty rounded literally i've had to 
I try to get a ticket and now I don't usually choose the front row. Yeah. I'm literally A1, A2 because there was like, there was never the choice yeah, yeah, to get two together. So like there's like single ones scattered around, but yeah. It's it's gonna be so good and honestly, one of the, I, it's coming back. I don't know whether it's because I'm older or whether I do so much with ensemble and sense of community, but the company, um, like the new additions to the, the who you know because some of the actors have, have been employed because they play those instruments but they've they've come in and the camaraderie with the company and the real sense of family you know what's one yeah. something that Theo has to do very quickly you've got to get in and form a family and actually working with Gareth so I directed the Palace of Varieties here with Gareth who uh, played Dennis Skinner uh, who's now getting to play my dad as he comes up on the <laughs> image um, it, it's uh, it's really. It's just, it's something very special, this. And this is, I've got to say, Brast Off is one of my, the, uh, yeah, it's, it's probably one of the biggest things that I've done um, as an artist. And it resonates massively because my dad, before he was a rugby player, was um, a miner. He, he okay. trained to do an O-level in, in mining. And I come from Newtonley Willows, which is where Gold Parkside Colliery, one of the most profitable and biggest collieries in the UK got, you know, it's, they're my people. Yeah. Uh, and it means a lot, and you see a lot of these towns and cities now that because of that breaking down of the um, and taking away of, of skilled labouring jobs just because Thatcher um, <laughs> we wanted to have an arm wrestling. Uh, it's 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 important. And my daughter who's six, she's like, Daddy, what's a mine? <laughs> right, okay, I'm going to take you up to Wakefield to the to mining museum. But it's it's important that we keep telling those stories because like lots of things are secular. You know, we've got to keep you, you we fight. We win, we lose, we fight. We just got to keep going. Got to keep going. How, so, of course, you've mentioned multiple times that you, of course, done it mm. before. So, for people that have seen it before yeah. at Derby Theatre, is it completely different? Is it the same? What can they expect when coming to watch it this time? Do you know what I think? So they can. It's the same thing. So those tropes of you know, you laugh, you cry, you'll have a pint, or you'll have a good night out. Like it's all of those things, and you know, you'll be you'll you'll be physically moved by the music because it's just it vibrates in your chest and your soul. Because Derwent Brass Brass are just exceptional. Um, the acting is expect the same, but better or stronger. I would say not okay. better, so better, stronger, because. Like even by the actors, like I played, if I'm honest, I played about seventy percent of the music last time. <laughs> but now I'm playing it, and it, I mean, I'm, and I'm, and that informs what I do with the role and the way that you attack it. And it just it feels like the, the last time we did it was like a bed uh, for us to build on. Okay. And it's like a, an ultra HD version. That's what this is. That if you liked it before. You're gonna love this, and you'll go. You'll be thinking about it for weeks after, and I know you will. And even the strongest big Yorkshireman or Darbadian, Dar, uh, what Darbados. Anyway, if you're from Derby, if you're from this area, I don't care how tough you think you are. You, this will move you on lots of levels, and you'll laugh. It's funny. It's there are bits that are funny. Some things are supposed to happen. Some things are not. But the, the kids are great. It's funny. It's, it's good. It's laugh. You'll you'll have a whole great night out in two hours. Nice. Um, of course, we've not mentioned when it, how long the run is when it's on. So I know. I'm, all, I'm on it. I don't even know if long. So Friday. So we open on Friday the 29th of September. And it runs till the 28th of October. Um, our matinee is a Saturday and Thursday. 
I'm trying to think what else there is audio described, captioning, all of it. I mean, Derby's are exceptional for accessibility. So um, the sign performances, I think we've got a lot. Uh, Sponsored uh, by Dancing Duff. Oh, is it? Is it? I, I, I believe so. That's why. Does that mean we get discount on, on bevies? Oh. Yes, mate. <laughs> well, you've got the draft, haven't you? So, yes. night, you'll be taking advantage of that. It is. I, I mean, I, I should have mutton chops. I'm that much older soul, but I love an ale and dancing duck are brilliant. A up is my favourite tipple of choice at the moment. So there we go. You're going to be uh, coming up and getting a up since we already have it on bottles. So, so there good. you go. Um, I kind of wanted to ask you some quick fire questions, mm-hmm. just of course. To round up, yeah. So, of course, you go into working moments, clubs, pubs. So, of course, you will know of karaoke. Oh, yeah. What's a go to karaoke song for yourself? I can't believe I'm going to admit this. <laughs> so, I would normally go so sober, Van Morrison, uh, Moondance. <laughs> After one pint, I would go sex bomb Tom Jones. <laughs> But these people can join in. <laughs> I think karaoke is brilliant. I always ask that. Do you know what? That's, I, when I'm doing interviews, I ask people like, "What's your karaoke song?" I, I like asking because I mean, everyone has people that don't enjoy singing. Yeah, like to do something. Everyone can get involved with. Depending the more rogue shouts you go for, yeah. you know that you're going up there to entertain and blow the roof <laughs> off everyone. Yeah. So no, I love that. What's yours? If I, um, so. Can you, I don't know, do you watch football a lot? Like, yeah, I watch a bit of football. So, remember the 2010 World Cup? Yeah. So Shakira did a song called Waka Waka. Yeah, I love it. That's, that's, that's my song. And I mean, I did it in Amsterdam and it got questionable eyes from someone because I tried to even learn the Swahili bit. So when she breaks off into that down the way, like two minutes in, yeah, I do that as well, and that people are just looking at I love that. That's commitment, though. That. Love it. I love that, that commitment. That's it. You've got, you've got to have a song, and you've got to yeah. stick to it. So no matter where you are, and people are like, oh, go on, do karaoke. You've got to do it. You've got to, you've yeah. got to go for it. If you if you just say, no, 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 people are not going to be invested in yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. If, if you get asked to do karaoke, you've got to go for it, and yeah. that's why I ask it. Um, of course, my next question is you've got a chef, he can make you one meal and give you one drink, what are you asking for? Uh, can I... I'll bin the chef and I'll <laughs> get my grandma, who passed away when I was 10, to come back and make a hot pot with corned beef, shortcrust pastry and pickled red cabbage, please. Thank you very much. What drink? Uh, drink. Alcoholic or non-alcoholic? Your choice, your preference. I'm going stereotypical northern area, but I'm going to go dandelion and burdock. Nice. And then you can choose one person to join you for the meal. They can be dead, alive, anyone. You can choose who you're choosing to converse with over this meal. That's good. That's a good question, that. I think if it's it's just... That's funny. (laughs) In my head, I'm like, oh... uh, the first person that came to the top of my mind was Sofia Vergara. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> good, yeah, Sofia Vergara. She'd be, I think she'd be, yeah, or that, her or Oscar Wilde. Either one would be great company. <laughs> they are very different. Yeah, they're very different about it. Um, of course, the next question. So we've got a sponsor, mm-hmm. um, like Peaks Wills. So they deal with like all wills and everything. So they wanted to put something in here and ask a question. So they wanted, what's the one thing on your bucket list that you hope to achieve, say, before you die? So oh, the God, one thing that you think of, yeah, I want to achieve that before I die. 
Olivier. Bosh. Nice. Done. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Olivier. Is there any activity like skydiving? Are you interested in you anything I, like that as well? Yeah, I did a, I did, oh, I did a, I did a, a bungee jump hungover once. It was the worst experience of my life. It was <laughs> awful. But I would, I would like to do a, a skydive. Uh, yeah, a, a skydive. I'd, um, I, I still need to. Do you know what? I need to run my, uh, yeah, that skydive is the one, I think. Nice. Um, and the last one, kind of, I think this, uh, you're going to give a brilliant answer to this. Um, no, so if, no pressure. <laughs> no, I do. With, with how you've answered already, I think that you're going to hit the nail on the head with this. So someone comes into Derby train station for the first time, you've been tasked with picking them up and you're taking them to your gem, Derby. <laughs> But it's got to be only one place. Where are you? Where are you taking them to? I want, my first instinct is to tell is to say the place that when I first ever got to Derby, I saw across the road from Derby train station, which you'll know, which I'm not going to name the place. So you go, I'll take them there, um, but I won't take them there. Um, uh, do you know what? Where would I take them? Who are they? Just anyone? Just anyone? Any, just random. I mean, obviously, I would take them to Derby Theatre, but I would take them on the di- on the route to. I've got to say, there's um, I the Exeter Arms, uh, <laughs> Dancing Duck will be happy with that. That's what they say. It's a lots of nice booths, but they go up in the cathedral. Yes. Uh, to go and sit in the cathedral in the heart of Derby, uh, and whether you're whether you're um, religious or not, I just think there's a there's a it's just a beautiful building. And it's so peaceful, and the light coming through the um, stained glass windows is, is, yeah, it's beautiful. There we go. And you have to go at the moment. There's a massive like moon or oh, something. Is yeah, I think. Well, I mean, I saw it the other day. All right. So yeah, that's probably still there. Um, thank you for coming on and talking to me, of course, Brastoff and yourself. Um, just to finish up, explain where people will be able to find you in the close and distant future um probably in a corner of a snug in a pub no and um, so uh they can follow me at um on all socials on at jimmy underscore fairhurst and at not too tame uh yeah i'm probably in a karaoke bar in derby somewhere <laughs> for the next couple of weeks there we go um no thank you for coming on thanks so much i've pleasure. really enjoyed it yeah that's great I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Peaking to Success podcast. If you enjoyed, please make sure you follow us on Spotify as well as Instagram where you can see all the updates of who is coming up as well as who has already been on the podcast as well as Twitter where there is information and interaction from me on there as well. Thank you. Want to know what's happening within Derby's black community? Or perhaps you have a story of your own to share? Then look no further than Majatu, your one-stop source for local African and Caribbean news. With our digital news platform and quarterly print magazine, keep up to date on all of the latest in arts, entertainment, food, sports and more. Find us online at mojatu.com.